0: Herald's Best of 2019. I'm Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of comicbookherald.com, and I am joined today by John Galati, writer supreme of the Comic Book Herald Network. We have combined our our powers and our might to write the Best Comics 2019 so far here in July, and we're going to be talking through all of our favorites that you can find over on comicbookherald.com. I'll include a link in the show notes, of course, to the actual list, but we're going to talk through them so you can listen and watch along here as well. Uh, John, I have to admit, I did make a pretty big mistake here. I scheduled this recording the day after uh, Marvel's uh, Marvel Studios' announcements at San Diego Comic-Con. And there's been an insane, an insane amount of news that is like almost all I want to talk about, including Hickman's X-Men. So we're not going to be looking forward, I, I, unfortunately. We're only looking back.
1: Well, if you've got to sneak some in, that's fine because I haven't caught up yet.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think, like, unfortunately, there's no, like, if there was, like, an Eternals or Shang-Chi book on here, I feel like I could stealth integrate some <laughs> right. thoughts. Um, I just, like, totally unrelated to what we're talking about, but Doctor Strange um, and the-, the subtitle, The Multiverse of Madness, or whatever it is. Yeah. Have you seen this? Um, I
1: have he- I got a quick update about that while I was trying to do dishes, and I'm like, I should definitely get back to that, and then yeah. somehow forgot. I don't know how
0: that It's worth getting back to Um, the the subtitles of the of the new MCU movies are actually, I think, the most exciting, exciting part of this, even though it's like not that big a thing. So anywho, let's go through the best, I think, about 20 comics of 2019. And I think our our goal here is to share with you uh, some of just what we've been loving throughout this year so that you can, you know, if you're kind of looking to get into comics this year or are already into comics and are looking for new sort of favorites to read, we'll give you some on ramps and some series that I think like, with a few rare exceptions, most of these are pretty accessible. To dive into, like as a as a new reader, I think so.
1: We definitely got a couple titles here that I think were specifically designed, especially. Well, as we'll see down the list, that seem to be here to bring new readers in and give them quick updates on the canon. So I'm really excited about that because I don't know that that's always been the case. Yeah, no, no.
0: There's, I mean, there's a few like longer running series, but yeah. Let's let's get into it. So the first one that I have on the list is Black Hammer, the 2019 rendition, and. What I've been doing with Best of Lists is Black Hammer is a universe, basically, that is created by writer Jeff Lemire and artist Dean Ormston, and they had an initial 12-issue or so miniseries called Black Hammer that has now expanded into this entire universe over at Dark Horse Comics. So what I did in 2018 and what I'm doing in 2019 is I'm basically combining all of those into, like, one single entry as opposed to breaking them out. Um, So far in 2019, there's been the conclusion of the Quantum Age, There's been the Age of Doom second half, which is the, like, basically season two of core Black Hammer. And then there's Black Hammer 45, which is four issues looking back at a World War II era adventure. That one's super... How much of this have you read, John? Are you, you, like, super up on Black Hammer?
1: I'm I'm behind on it. I read through the first, uh, the initial 12 run that they did, and... I really enjoyed uh, that the, it had these quiet moments in it that were lovely, mm-hmm. and I liked the idea that they were going to build out a new universe. Would you say that it's kind of, at least uh, sort of theoretically similar in that regard to Hellboy? Um, that's like an in interesting comparison. It? It stan-
0: yeah, I think I think that actually is a pretty fair comp, because it's mm-hmm. it's its own thing. And you can kind of read individual pieces. That's the one thing I mm-hmm. kind of like about Hellboy is if you wanted to pick up, for example, BPRD, you know, yeah. like it helps a lot to have read the prior Hellboy, but mm-hmm. it's also not super required. And I think Black Hammer follows a similar pattern. Like if you wanted to just read Quantum Age, which mm-hmm. is basically their Legion of Legion of Superheroes uh, okay. type type book, you could do that, and it ha- it definitely helps to know like the other characters. Um, but it's got that sort of definitely got that concentrated universe building. All the spinoffs are, they tend to be related to, you know, things that have happened in the past. So, and I, the difference mm-hmm. between Black Hammer and Hellboy for me is Hellboy is very clearly a pretty new creation and all supernatural horror. Whereas Black Hammer yeah. is, um, it's like, it's almost like the Amalgam universe, you know, DC and Marvel mm-hmm. style, where it's, it's just all superhero analogs and taking the inspiration of decades of loving superhero comics, and and translating that into something mildly new, mm-hmm. like it's not. That's the thing is like it's smart and it's really well done, and the character moments are great. But like if you look at, for example, the big threat from the original Black Hammer series, mm-hmm. it's called the Anti God. It looks right. exactly like Galactus and Darkseid had a baby, <laughs> and and it's named as such. And it's it's clearly just like it's the Kirby influenced big Definitely. giant supreme villain. Um, But that's what I love about Black Hammer is because I love superhero comics. It's like, here's everything you love about them condensed and merged into (laughs) this new thing.
1: Yeah, that was really cool. It also, now that you bring that up, I guess it kind of reminds me a little bit of Astro City in that way.
0: Yeah, yeah, Astro City is definitely definitely comparable.
1: Yeah. No, I, I really liked the 12 issues, but then it started to feel a little bit like a commitment to me. Yes, and I wasn't really in a position at the time where I'm like, i need I need a book I'm committed to as opposed to like a quick read that I can pick up and put down. yeah, because i I like if I love something, I can get kind of obsessive about it as I think my contributions to the website show. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that I was concerned about losing myself to Jeff Lemire for is it Lemire lemire? i I say Lemire. I, I need okay. to
0: listen to some audio or something and get that one figured out because I feel like I'm talking because he writes every book for every publisher yeah so i feel like i need to figure out how to how to enunciate that yeah
1: that's one of those things that i'm gonna have to work on myself but
0: yeah no yeah. it's super good i think i think to your point mm-hmm. the 12 issues up front are definitely like if you're new to this start there that those are the best it's the easiest pickup. pick up you can you'll read it in a night like you won't want to put it down mm-hmm. um i think what would what has happened since is it's spinning off it's it's doing a lot more it is more of a commitment Um, Mm -hmm. to follow like it's becoming a shared superhero universe. And that is fun, but it also has all of the challenges that shared superhero universes develop, which is a lot to keep track of. You know, Mm -hmm. like there's just more more spinning plates. So for me, that's why it's the first one we're talking about. So we're going to kind of go in like a rough from... Not worst to best, but descending order up to our mm-hmm. favorites, you know, because obviously these are all our best ofs. But um, yeah. that's why I have it as high as I do right now because 2018 I had it super high. Basically, that was like the series ended and and new mm-hmm. things were kicking off. But now we're kind of in that tough, like almost like that Marvel entering the Bronze Age stage where yeah. they have to figure out what okay what are we doing here? Uh, we can go any direction, but it can get it can get a little lost in that. So. I like some of what they've done. Black Hammer Forty Five is a cool one. It's all drawn. Interiors are all by Matt Kent, an artist that I love. He's done oh, nice. Mind Management. Yeah, um, we're gonna see some more from him on this list as well. And it's it's Go written ahead. there. The story's by Lemire, but it's written by Ray Fox. Um, and it's just like it's a really cool World War Two four issue. That one's a easier in and out. You really don't need a lot of back- background to understand type series. And I, I, I think more than anything, I love that this is like this new world, this new universe that can do these types of things, you know, yeah. that can almost retell the history of Marvel and DC, but within its own confines. Because building a superhero universe is like an insane thing to try to do in 2019.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah, it is. And it's, yeah, it's, it's nice that we are reaching this age where a lot of people are making commentary again about the comics that they grew up with. That seems yeah. to be like a consistent theme that we're seeing. Um, which, yeah, I don't, I don't know if that's because we're in this kind of fuzzy ground in between ages, that very soft territory, mm-hmm. um, where people are now kind of like, well, we're not entirely sure what the ethos of this next era is going to be, so let's, let's throw some H.P. Lovecraft at it and see what happens. Let's yeah. go back to Kirby and like, the the resurrection of some other stuff. Like, it's interesting, and I'm wondering what's going to shake out of it.
0: Yeah, but, for sure. Cool, cool. So let's go then to next on the list. John, this is one that you put on. It is Venom slash
1: Absolute Carnage. So much like uh, what we've just been talking about with Black Hammer, it's this is another one of those examples of uh, a series that's been running for a little while, um, and now we're finally getting into the culmination of things. So I think it was through last year that Cates was trying to kind of fleshing out where Venom exists within... Marvel continuity outside yeah. of just Spider-Man. So he's got some attachments to the Weapons Plus program. Um he's got some new some new uh galactic stuff and celestial stuff that's happening right now. It's kind of crazy. Um as he's he's introduced this new God of the symbiotes in it for anybody who's not reading. Um, And the god of the uh, super—the god of them is—what is his name now? It's like Null? Null. K-N-U-L-L. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a very Star Trek-sounding name to me. Very much, yeah. Uh, And he comes from, like, the time before anything, before even the Eternals and the Celestials showed up to start, you know, messing with stuff. Yeah. And he was resentful as they made something where they thought there was nothing but was his kingdom. Uh, And this, of course— ties him into everything from then on out. He he gets kind of a stealth retcon into uh the God Butcher arc by Jason Aaron. Yeah. He gets, you know, all these different attachments. Um and I brought up earlier the the aspect of HP Lovecraft, and there's a lot of that within this series and especially now into absolute carnage. Um, And the way that they are treating madness and the way that things come from outer space that are unknowable and almost indescribable, that we can't even conceive of the full shape of things. These are very weird fiction uh, insertions that have been a lot of fun. Um, I kind of wish that they would do more to kind of address the elephant in the room with some of that stuff because weird fiction came from a really dark time in american like literary history Mm -hmm. and it seems like a weird thing to borrow from and then not mention like oh the the authors that we are referencing are probably problematic
0: yeah um right it's definitely not and i feel like this is probably true of a lot of Kate's writing um, because I've been, I've been mm-hmm. exploring like a lot of his cosmic stuff, which honestly Venom kind of ties into, which I think is one of the yeah. things that you and I probably find most appealing about it. Is it like, it immediately takes this character who has always been, I guess I shouldn't say always been, cause the last few years he's gone kind of cosmic. There's a Venom space yeah. night series. Um, and he's been with the guardians, but like he's grounded. He's a Spider-Man villain. Obviously yeah. the suit originally comes from space, but it really start like to add a new character null. Who's part of like mm-hmm. Marvel's cosmic pantheon mm-hmm. is that's a big step, and it kind of works, I think. Yeah. Surprisingly, so I think a lot of times if you throw out somebody who's like, "Yeah, this guy's on, uh, he's on Galactus and Eternity's level," you know, or something yeah. like that, like it's hard to do unless you're Jim Starlin, and right. and Kate's and Stegman kind of pull it off. I think to your point, they really aren't they aren't asking a lot of difficult questions. Definitely not at the yeah. at the literary scale that you're describing. Um, I think the difficult question they are asking throughout Venom is. Is more grounded and more focused on Eddie Brock as a yeah. as a person, which I think yeah. is a lot more in Kate's writing wheelhouse. Um, did you ever read Buzzkill, the the Dark Horse no, mini? No, did? I did not. It's four issues. Mm-hmm. I ca- I could not even tell you why I was pulling it, but I was collecting it as it came okay. out. I think it was like 2014. Maybe it was my maybe the comic shop owner was like, "Hey, you should check out this series." I have no idea, um, but somehow I was pulling it, and it's a really good. Series about this superhero who can only use superpowers when he is drunk, but he's an alcoholic. Oh,
1: okay. I've heard of that. I have not read that, but I have heard of that.
0: It's like I'm make a note of that. It's a really, yeah. It's a it's a clever concept. It could. It's like there's one of two ways it could go. It could be absolutely atrocious, um, right. or it could be could actually deal with addiction in. In somewhat intelligent ways, and I remember thinking at the time that it did, like that it was pretty mm-hmm. smart. And I've kind of always, ever since reading that and realizing, like, oh, that's that author's the same guy who's now like the biggest thing at Marvel. I mean, I think yeah. definitely in terms of like hot well, other than new Hickman. writers, but like, but like fresh, you know, like fresh yeah, faces yeah. kind of thing. No, definitely, sure. definitely like Aaron Hickman. Um, that might be it, honestly, at this point, that are like genuinely bigger. Yeah, probably. Yeah, Kate's has yeah. definitely come up. Uh, Right. But um but like I always have that sense of him being this guy who can deal with like real difficult like addiction level human problems. And I think he's dealing yeah. with a lot of that with Eddie Brock, with problems with his dad, um Definitely. with problems with just being like, Am I violent or is Venom right. violent? you know, essentially. And then and then a little bit of like mental health. And I don't know how nuanced the exploration is. Um but it's you know, it's a man who yeah, has been hearing I mean, a voice for a long like time that is literally an alien entity. But... And and now he's kind of dealing with, like, how much of that mm-hmm. is my head versus Venom, right? Um, so I think it does all that yeah. pretty well. Definitely this year, the series has slowed for me a lot because of... Really because of the build to the event that is coming, which I think... I don't, I'm pretty excited for Absolute yeah. Carnage. <laughs> like, I'm pretty earnestly looking forward to it. I,
1: th- I think it could be good, uh, which I was not prepared to say when I got on this recording, because I have... Not the best memories of Absolute... Or, um, is it Absolute? Maximum Garnage? That's it. Yeah. Um. Like, that was a weird series. I loved it as a kid. I reread it later, and it did not hold up. <laughs> it doesn't hold
0: up very well at all, no.
1: No. But, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I love that Cates is asking these questions. I just went back and reread some of his stuff before doing this today, and I was struck by how he was kind of intimating at this idea that Brock questions how he treats the the symbiote like right am i am i a monster am i forcing this creature to be terrible like this is kind of an interesting idea um there's an interesting bit of compassion there which to your point feeds into the idea of you know self-help and mental care that's really important mm-hmm. but yeah i can't shake this feeling as Kate is bringing stuff up that he's not shortchanging us a little bit by not not addressing kind of some of the the mystery aspects that are usually inherent to this kind of story, yeah, um, that he's writing it just as a straight- up monster movie at certain times and more of an action movie at other times, yes, which is great fun, and i'm I'm enjoying that, but I'm also used to the kind of stories where there is an indescribable horror that has just happened and we have to get to the bottom of this, and by the end of it, it's worse than we could possibly imagine. and there's creeping, plotting terror um so i think you should i I think
0: you should hang on to that line of thinking because one of the next things i want to do that um Mm -hmm. i i put up a poll on the the comic carol patreon about what should my next youtube video be and one of the tied for the lead was uh the donny cates marvel universe and like kind of all the connective tissue and i think the question you're asking there is actually a really essential one to looking at his work in the Marvel universe as a whole because Null Null now that this dragon symbiote god of nothing mm-hmm. that he introduced in Venom is like he's a player in um like War of the Realms, which Cates doesn't even write. He's a player okay. in Guardians of the Galaxy. He's a player in Silver Surfer Black. So like there's Ooh. all this connective tissue and things. Mm-hmm. And I still have the question you just asked, which is there's a I'm not sure the mystery here yeah. Is getting explored as thoroughly as as maybe it could be. It's still yeah. kind of just like it's a very metal, like yeah, righteous. You know, like he looks <laughs> awesome. The Stegman art <laughs> right. and the, like the dragon look of these characters as the as the opening arc is like incredible. It's oh so yeah, fun. he could be painted on the side of a van. It's all red and black, exactly right. Like mm-hmm. yeah, totally. Um, but I think that's a really interesting question to keep exploring because uh, I I would agree with you. I, I think. It's still like it's lingering and it's kind of hard to articulate but it's it's in the back of your head like there's there's more to this i just don't know what it is
1: and my last note is i'm wondering if they are going to tie any of these comics into uh junji ito's uzumaki which is a a japanese horror manga Mm. that came out a while ago that's obsessed with spirals and people losing themselves inside of the spiral of this thing Mm. and it's a lot of gore and body horror and interesting iconography, and there are little hints of that that are just native to Venom, and okay. now that you see the primal versions that have the spiral done up on their on their face, yeah. that look all... Like, some of the results look almost like some of Junji's stuff. I'm like, interesting. I'm, I'm wondering if they're going to pull more of that in, or if that was just like a one-off thing, but I'm calling my shot right now. Okay. A um, like Babe it. Ruth in this thing. Yeah.
0: <laughs> nice. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I would not have picked up on that. That's awesome. Very nice. So next on our list we have Bitter Root, and this is a series that we both enjoyed this year. This is one that you put on the list. I had actually mm-hmm. kind of forgotten, and would not have had it on my my list alone. But I definitely think it has earned a place here. I just to start it. I yeah. I think I was kind of amazed that this book, um, and it's written by oh shoot, uh, it's David Walker. With, yeah. um, with collaborators, I'm I'm only remembering the last names, Brown and Green, I off the top of my head.
1: Yeah,
0: uh, but they literally turn like racism is the villain of this book, mm-hmm. but it's a monster, <laughs> like it's a literal. <laughs> they literally monsterify racism, and it works. Like it's yeah. not, it's still kind of nuanced. You know, it's not as maybe hamfisted as that sounds. Like yeah. I I couldn't believe. What I was seeing, where they're like the races literally turn into monsters, I know, and, and it works.
1: It's amazing. That's that was the trick that that and the some of the stuff that we'll bring up, but were the aspects of what really made me decide that this had to be on the list because it was such a surprise to me, mm-hmm. and I was so prepared. And this sounds negative, but I was so prepared for this thing to fall apart at any moment. So it was kind of like a tight yeah. walk, just me reading it. Yeah, and. Yeah, the the interesting aspects of that, some of the great cultural stuff that they brought up, I love. I love the fact that they could make um, racism into a monster and this uh, this othering force, and yet not let people off the hook completely. And right. I think that's kind of what made it hold together that it wasn't this completely abstracted force that was removed from humanity. It was this thing that still could interconnect. Um,
0: it's still a choice yeah. that people are making. You know, it's not like they've been possessed and right, are are exactly. without faculty, right? That's a really good distinction to make because it's still like it's still treating. And and we should say this is this is what the Harlem Renaissance in like mm-hmm. the twenties, like American twenties, yeah. I want to say, and uh, and it's about a family, a black family of mm-hmm. of literal monster hunters, right? I think it's kind of like the premise and the hook. Yeah,
1: but for the time the long period line of them too,
0: exactly right. And there's a legacy of them dealing with. With racism, essentially, which which all feel like it all feels like a very real rooted in in American history story. Mm-hmm. But then you put the comic book spin on it of Monster Hunters. Right. So it's like yeah. it feels like American history and dealing with this legacy and tradition of awful, horrible racism. But like <laughs> making it fun, it, which is insane. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it's it's impossible to make fun, but they kind of pull it off. Um, and, and that's like, I don't know, that sounds so tactless to say like it's made fun, but they're, they're hunting monsters. Like it's got a, it's got a fun comic book feel to it, which is, I, I just think it's incredible.
1: Yeah. There's great character agency that was great in it. Um, I really enjoyed it and I was, I was surprised at how much I did. And, you know, the ultimate question that the book keeps, at least to me, seemed to be asking was, something that we've read before but never this way in comics of the idea that what does a hero actually owe the people that they're saving Mm. and we've certainly seen that in batman and superman and whatnot but this was one of the first times that i could think about the the situation at this scale of like why are these people saving people who are horrible and terrible to them and risking their lives and the family uh, I don't, I'm not spoiling anything, but the family actually loses a member or two pretty early on. Yeah. In fact, I think the story starts with their uncle had just died. I want to mm-hmm. say. Hmm. Um. So yeah, just right off the bat, this whole idea of the the interaction between the the superhero and their public was fascinating to me. Um. But then, to your point, like the artwork is really good, and the the pacing just keeps going along, mm-hmm. and um, it's still a really enjoyable read. Which yeah. is. You know, too often we talk about these two ideas as if they can't coexist, but yeah, you can have a story that's deeply rooted in American history in difficult times and has things to say, but yeah, you should still want to get to the last issue.
0: Right, exactly. I I think that's what makes Better Roots such a success is Mm -hmm. I'm enjoying the comic book reading experience, which, you know, I am looking for, like, first, but then I'm, it's also tricking me into learning things, (laughs) and I'm learning lots of things, and they've got these, like, pretty incredible series of essays in the back of these, which I think is a -hmm. a thing Image has really kind of perfected over the years. Um, Basically, the creators can, if they are so inclined, have a series of educational, you know, essays in the back, and Bitterroot does that, I think, really well. Like, I've, I have learned about in a period of time and, like, issues that would not otherwise be in, on my radar when I'm picking up a comic book. And that's that's like an achievement in and of itself, I think.
1: Definitely, yeah. And for for coming out of left field like this, is all the more impressive.
0: Yeah, totally. So next on our list is one that I put on, and this one is definitely a, a less accessible entry if you're looking purely at the 2019 issues. It's East of West. This one's written by Jonathan Hickman with art by Nick Trigoda. Uh This one has been running since, I think, 2013, maybe 2014. It's that it's one of the first image Hickman books kind of as he's like slowly transitioning out of Marvel. He's still writing his Avengers epic during this time when it launched. um, But it's been one of his creator-owned series since he's left Marvel that has kept running. It's approaching, I think, issue 46 is going to be the conclusion, I believe, which is scheduled to come out later this year. So I had to get this one on here because I think only technically like maybe one or two issues have been released in 2019. But it's the second to last arc. And then the last arc is going to come out in the end of the year. And East yeah. of West is one of my—it's one of my 50 favorite comics of all time. I've loved this series. I, I think it basically—to me, it feels like a mistake not to include just because it's been around for a long time, you know? <laughs> yeah, definitely.
1: I mean, if it's still doing strong work, you know, I think it contends.
0: Yeah, and its it definitely—I think like literally all of Hickman's work— it's better if you read it all together because I definitely yeah. have had the experience of, and, it, and it's taken some time. It's taken some breaks as well. So like I picked up the first, um, the most recent arc and I'm start reading it and I'm like, I, I have to go back. Like it's got, it's just perpetually puts you in the, I have to go back mindset yeah. of like, I kind of need the, to get up to speed and the on ramp onto this. But when you do that, it's super worth it. Like there's just the way it blends the apocalypse with politics, with mythology is kind of unlike anything else, um, just in terms of, like, again, it's it's the thing that everybody talks about with Hickman, but the long-term planning and pacing and oh, yeah. and all of it paying off in ways that are, are just completely unexpected. Like, the the characters that are the most interesting to me now, in 2019 East of West, as it comes to a close, were not even on my radar when it mm. launched, in a lot of ways, with the exception of, like, Death. So yeah, the premise, for those of you who haven't checked it out, basically East of West follows... It's hard to explain in short terms but like there's the four <laughs> horsemen of apocalypse effectively are like um not anthropomorphized but they're like you know death is a human being right walking around he's a, Yeah, personified. There you go. Um he's an all white cowboy like literally dressed head to toe in white. He's white skin, white hair, you know, like he's a uh, very stark with any background he's in. Um and death is like kind of the main character that we follow through this. He's kind of mm-hmm. broken from the other three horsemen of the apocalypse who are now sort of his enemies. Basically, he did it for love uh, of mm-hmm. sorts. Um, and death has a child. And, and he's kind of this major player in the series. But that's like, that is oversimplifying what this book winds up actually <laughs> delivering, which is every detail and facet of this actual world that these characters are inhabiting. And most importantly, like, the big political leaders or players of what has become... um it's, it's, like, recognizable to to mm-hmm. our world, but it's, like, it's a totally different, uh, you know, with, like, the earth being divided into – it reminds me of, like, um I don't know, a video game like Fallout or something where it's, like, you sure. have, like, the California government and the Texas government and, like, America. It's, like, a totally different type of America and then, of course, the rest of the world as well. But, yeah, I love the series. I think if you've been reading it, keep reading it. If you haven't, start. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's worth it. Yeah.
1: No, it's an insanely good series. Uh, And, man, his characterization and his ability to do—Hickman's ability to do posturing on some of his his characters is just wild. Like, death is so good in this. And almost as the opposite of uh, what we talked about with Venom, like, there is so much mystery to this. There's always this— east of west is constantly feels like there's more to the story that you don't quite know yet Mm -hmm. and he also like early on when he shows the map of america and just the gutsy choice to it be an image and there being no exposition to explain it (laughs) right you know yeah there's a there's a very similar scene in old man logan where they kind of break stuff up but they very quickly explain the regioning or at least some of the regioning yeah yeah um but yeah with this one it just starts off and you just basically walk if this was a movie you would just walk by a map right it's like a kubrick move it's great
0: i love i love that comp with old man logan because what it does is it it puts the onus on you to fill in those explanations mm-hmm. so you're so i remember like yeah. with old man logan it's like oh hammer falls that must be where thor got taken down and then it's just the wheel spin and it doesn't tell you what happened but you can imagine yeah. right you can imagine all the different ways that might have played out um, and then there's the promise of maybe we'll find out, maybe we won't, mm-hmm. maybe that'll be even better, right? Like I think yeah. a lot of times the mystery is is just as exciting. Oh, yeah. Um, I agree. yeah, so totally agree. That's a that is like, and it makes it makes a lot of decisions like that. And I should call out because I've been talking about Hickman a lot, which is 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 the you know the theme of the year. Um, but <laughs> Nick Dragotta's art in this is so good. Like he's oh Jesus, yeah. I would I'm perpetually. Yeah, I'm perpetually looking for him to like to be uh, an X Men Hickman partner, or like to come on like wherever he wants to get work. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. I'm going to check out that book. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I could see him doing. Ugh, this is the horrible part where uh, you and I backseat direct things, but the fan- I could fancast. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I would absolutely love to see him do a take on Uncanny X Force. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Did you? So that was the other that was the other San Diego Comic Con announcement was all the Dawn of X books. So um, they they announced all the books that are coming after House of X and Powers of X. Okay. And he was not, I don't believe, listed among the artists on uh, on X-Force. On For- but, you know, it's the opening arc. There's still time. Yeah, there is. Yeah. We do have uh, Lionel <laughs> Francis Yu doing uh, the the core X-Men series with Hickman, okay. which I feel like—I don't know what your take on, on Yu is. I feel like he's become underrated as one of Marvel's
1: best artists somehow. Yeah, I think so. And I— I don't know where some of the taste is with artwork these days, but he's good. He's a lot of fun. He's nice and clear. Exactly. You know. As I get older, one of my biggest sticking points with comics right now is do I understand what is happening in like the actual panel that I'm looking at? Yeah. And the the pacing between. It's become such a thing. But he does a great job.
0: Yeah. Cool, cool. So next on the list we have and we might have to we might have to split this into two parts, I'm thinking, because we got we got a lot of comics to get through. Um, next on our list is a three, basically a three part series. It's like, it's the superhero, Superman universe, DC, like spinoffs, essentially.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, so I'll let you take this one. So this is totally my crackpot idea, but I have this theory that these comics, even though they're not releasing on the same schedule, are creating their own sort of Gotham central concept. Okay. Yeah. The idea that they show Superman from different facets. Yeah. Uh, in the way that Gotham Central could talk about Batman more effectively without him being there. Right. So you've got Jimmy Olsen, who's, you know, kind of, he seems kind of like the the adventurous human spirit and what that would look like in a world where superheroes were possible and might save you. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's very Golden and Silver Age in that regard. Um, but it's fun and it's goofy and the character designs are great. Um. And I would usually put that up at the top of the list out of the three, Mm -hmm. except for the fact that you've got Lois Lane being written by Greg Rucca. Yeah. And man, I cannot discount a story written like this for Greg that he makes her into this investigative reporter, which she was from before, but now she's tough as nails and just dogged uh, and clever and brilliant. And she's, she's at, you know, Lois is asking these questions and being a hero in the way that kind of makes you wonder, like, why isn't Superman doing that? When she's sitting there holding the the administration to account saying that you are committing these crimes. Yeah. Here is the evidence. It it asks the question why is Lois the one, you know, up to bat?
0: Right. Um, right. Well, and and when you say these questions too in the first issue of Lois Lane, they are the questions everyone's asking in the real world as well. Like it's taking um it's taking like American treatment, essentially, of immigration and of of locking people up and what that takes. Like, it's Lois Lane asking those questions in the context of the DC universe. So to say it is relevant is an understatement. <laughs> like, it is, it is very directly tied to what we're seeing happen in our world
1: right now. I love that when Greg writes that scene, you know, there's this, there's this great verisimilitude where she's listing names of actual companies that are mm-hmm. engaging in this stuff because— yeah rucka will do his research but she slides into the the name of the companies helping the government perform these things she slides in lex corp of course right and it's a great little one grounding element but two i love that it establishes like no this is evil like lex Luthor is involved this has to be evil yeah
0: yeah like here are the
1: sides yeah totally um I'm, I'm hoping for good things from that I hope that, you know, Greg can stick it out because this is going to be a tough book on him to make if he keeps going this way.
0: Well, and I think it's, I think Lois is 12 issues. I think Jimmy, I think is 12 issues. So they, those both seem to have definite endings in mind, at least is the way yeah. they've been proposed. Um, and then the third one is Naomi, which I think is doing like a season model,
1: if I don't, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it's Bendis. I think it's doing a season and it's going to be like one off, half off or one on half off. I think. Yeah. I don't remember. Um, for me, Naomi is the one that I'm maybe the most excited about, but it's also the one that is least for me, unfortunately. Right. Um, Naomi, we mentioned before, at least in the article that, uh, both Marvel and DC are kind of having an issue lately of like onboarding new people. Mm -hmm. We have all this excitement about superhero comics, but how do we get kids to read the comics? Mm -hmm. Um, or excitement about the movies, I should say. And Naomi is DC's take on that, and it feels, in a good way, rather like uh, Bendis' work on Ultimate Spider-Man, that she's yeah. taking this marginalized character that feels, you know, very insecure at in where she is in the world, and she finds out that there was a—the book opens when Superman and, I think, Mongol crash into her tiny little town. Yeah. And, you know, people flip out about it. This is the biggest thing that's ever happened. And then someone leaks the news through the the kind of information superhighway of teen gossip that there was another super event sometime in the past. And probably it seems right around the time that Naomi would have been adopted by her family. Mm-hmm. And now suddenly there is this, there's this way to fit it to the Superman template. And the rest of the story feels like half an alias um comic where she's kind of trying to unravel this mystery Mm -hmm. and half a ultimate spider man comic where she's trying to say like how do i be a hero in a world that is so clearly defined what a hero is absolutely and unfortunately has defined it as you know a, a straight white alien from outer space so it's like how does she compete as a as a young black girl
0: yeah no totally it's um it's definitely. It's got that. I don't know if it's actually part of Wonder Comics, but it's clearly.
1: I think it is. It
0: should be. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it. I think it must be. Um, you know, it's an all ages, like new reader friendly type book. I think. Yeah, to your point, it's it's taking the Superman mythos and then recontextualizing mm-hmm. for a young African African American girl, uh, mm-hmm. and it's it's really smart. Like in the way that I think Bendis, he's writing it actually with I think David F. Walker, who we talked about with Bitter Root. Um, I'm co-writing this one and it's one of those things where it's like this is one of Bendis's like conceptual at his best is when he can take something new ground it in things that we know about superhero comics or history and kind of spin it in a way that is like um, I I think he's kind of underrated as like an all-ages typewriter as well because he he gets kind of that hardline noir uh, crime like early start and I think that's obviously what alias is is like the mature version of this Um, Mm -hmm. but he's also like ultimate spider-man is one of my favorite comics Ever, and that is very like teenage, oh, year friendly, um, and and Naomi taps into that I think like really well. So yeah, I love I love combining these as like you said like a Gotham Central style, but for Superman, um, yeah, like sweet like trilogy of sorts. I think Jimmy Olsen for me, written by Matt Fraction, art by Steve Lieber, like. It's gonna be my favorite comic of any year, just like by default. <laughs> like, there's no chance. It's not. It's just. It's gonna be so funny. Um, and I've I've actually pretty recently just like I've really started getting into the absurdity of of Jimmy Olsen's life, like it, mm. the transformate the Silver Age transformations he goes through, <laughs> and just how he's this. Because I I really only knew him as Superman's pal. For a long time, and the only Jimmy Olsen comics I'd ever read were um, the Kirby stuff that ties into the fourth world, which plays with this a little bit. But, like, he's got this history of just, like, he's the pal and he's around. But then as all Superman stuff's happening, he gets into these, like, just the craziest situations, you know? And it's, like, it's just – it's goofy, but it's really fun. And, you know, it, like, he'll get turned into crazy stuff or he'll meet up with, he'll stop an alien evasion, like, mm-hmm. to try and win back a girl. Like, it's just these, you know, it's it's very Silver Age, um, but it's thrilling. I think, like you said, Lois Lane has a chance to actually go down as, like, objectively the best. Like, it just, yeah. it has that feel, like, this could be the smartest, best DC book of the year. Um, and that's that's thrilling that, like, the Superman line is full of books like that.
1: Yeah, and it's... It's something that I've wanted for a long time, uh, just as a way to kind of address the the power issues with Superman, that it would seem so much more human and impactful to look at him the way that we're kind of getting to look at him with Naomi. Mm-hmm. Um, the only, you know, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree that Jimmy Olsen's probably going to wind up being the most fun for sure. Yeah. I, I really hope for it being, you know, Hawkeye, but in outer space. Yeah, uh, it's got that vibe. It definitely does so far. And it's it's a nice capture of the feel of old Jimmy Olsen comics because Jimmy usually just sort of uh, uh, Ford prefected his way into heroism of like yeah. just kind of falling ass backwards into it and never out for power, never out for – usually not out for glory of any kind Yeah, um, unless you want to count him like proving to Superman once and for all that he was as powerful as whatever. <laughs> Uh, which were always great stories.
0: <laughs> I, I do like him trying to explain to Superman like the things that happened. That's always entertaining. It's yeah.
1: so good. It's so good. But if Superman doesn't melt one of Jimmy's gifts to him in this 12-issue series, I'll be so mad. I'll be so mad. He's <laughs> just yeah. always destroying Jimmy's life. Yeah, I, I think the only downside that I've got with Naomi in this story, and it's, it's an unfair downside, but it's so written for teens that I it find is. it hard to access that there are parts of it that are just, that are going to go great for them. And I'm thrilled, but it's hard for me to fairly evaluate it because I want to nitpick at that stuff. Right. Which is not the point.
0: No, I do do think like there's a tendency to treat all ages. um, Like, I don't know, to call something all ages that is clearly not like, and I I do this a lot on Comic Herald where I think, I, I think it's like almost a defense mechanism where I'm like, well, I'm reading it. So, I want to be able to enjoy it. Therefore, it must be for all ages. And with something like Naomi, or we've got like Unstoppable Wasp lower on the list, um, it's it's clearly for teens, right? It is like that is the intended audience. And I think there's a tendency to try to like to try to like toy story everything. Where it's mm-hmm. like, no, it's for absolutely everyone. And it, it's <laughs> right. fine. It's fine that it's yeah. not. And and you have to you have to put that lens on and look at it that way. Um because I, I'm the same way where I read Naomi and I'm like no, like Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen are way more for me as a yeah. reader and where I'm at in my life. And that's fine. I can still really appreciate what Naomi's trying to do. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. It's doing a great job. And if nothing else, I'm excited that we can have books that aren't 100% meant for me this high up on the list. you know? Exactly. Exactly. It's a yeah. cool thing. Totally. It's a nice sign of a healthy ecosystem for comics.
0: Right, right. It's like, yeah, not every reader needs to be in the exact same place in their life. It's better if they're not. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. okay. Next on our list, this is one that you put on that I I did not include on mine, um, which isn't to say I didn't like it. I don't think I liked it as much as you necessarily. This is Die. Oh, I, I was about to say the opposite, actually, that I figured that you might have liked it even more than I did. Oh, interesting. Okay. So maybe we're both maybe we're both more down on this. Yeah, this is the Kieran Gillen and Stephanie Hans series
1: from Image. It's only one volume
0: in, so why don't, mm-hmm. you, why don't you kick it off?
1: So Die is going to tell a pretty familiar story, uh, but it does it in an unfamiliar way, so forgive the setup. The idea is uh, at the start of this book, we've got a group of teenagers in like the mid to late 80s, I want to say. Yeah. Um, It's like peak
0: peak Dungeons and Dragons, like becoming popular time, right?
1: Yes, it is. And we are definitely riding that wave from a marketing standpoint here. Yes. Uh, So these kids get together and they're going to play a very special game. They each get given a die by the game master. And then they are, we find out, transported somewhere and they are missing. They return back um, sometime later, missing a member, and one member of their team is missing an arm, I want to mm-hmm. say. Mm-hmm. And this, you know, sets them off on a path where they grow up. There's an anniversary. Uh, at a party, they get together to talk about their kind of situation, and one of the dies comes back into play. Yeah. And they are dragged back into the world where they find out that their lost member has become king of this dark and terrible realm. Um So it's a pretty similar setup to what we've heard before. It's definitely riding the wave of D&D excitement that we've seen with, uh, well, throughout media right now, but especially with Dark Knight's Metal and with uh, War of the Realms are both, you know, clear high fantasy stuff.
0: Right. Well, and and Kieran Gillen, the writer here, I think long a fan proponent of D&D. They've actually got a... I don't. Know, I don't play, so I don't know the terminology. But there's like a dive version of Dungeons and Dragons. There's like a template or like a story or, or whatever you would need to kick off oh, your yeah, own that's version, a like a module. Okay, yeah. There's a clear community building element tied to that as well, which mm-hmm. I, which is great. I mean, I love that sort of take it out of the take it off the page and and expand the universe type thing. Yeah.
1: I love that they've done that. I love that they've gone that extra mile. It's really mm-hmm. smart, uh, and it's free too. I think. So you can actually play it if you haven't read the comics, which is amazing. And also, the artwork is gorgeous. The covers are incredible. Mm -hmm. Uh, The graphic designer in me absolutely loves those covers. (laughs) I also, of course, I love Kieran's work on the relationships within the story. And that's Mm -hmm. really the thing that drives this. That it's the friendships and the rivalries and the guilt and the shame that are making this an impactful story where it could just be another Stranger Things or another it it really reminds me of it actually see as uh, as someone who doesn't know
0: it at all okay uh explain that because i i see jumanji 100 okay where it's it's uh you're transported to like a game world and mm-hmm. now you're stuck in it and trying to like survive the horrors but taken a lot more serious well maybe not a lot more seriously but like it's a little more horrific in the die world the things that happen yeah. seem to have more of a lasting impact um what are the what are the it connections for you
1: so the IT connections for me are somewhat similar in that it's a, a group of kids, this time in the 80s, which is very IT, um, go off and wind up having a face-off against a gigantic monster, and they're faced with truly adult situations, only to be transported back. Um, one of their members is changed, one of their members is missing, which I think is pretty true for IT. I can't mm. remember. It's been so long since I've actually read the book. But definitely people come back, and they're damaged, and they're hurt, and they grow up, and they become adults, and they get together, and then the evil is back. Okay. And the thing that's interesting about this um, is—so in It, when that second chapter, when that second arc hits, and the evil returns, and they have to go back to fight it, the adults kind of turn back into kids— and that's the same mechanism that we're kind of using now in Die, that yeah. when they return to the false world, they are under that world's time rulings or whatever. Right, exactly. And
0: that's that's definitely one of the things I, I liked about this was what you were saying is the character mm-hmm. dynamics of these people have aged. They are now mm-hmm. like fully functioning adults. They have jobs. They Some of them want to forget what happened. Some of them, like one of them is super jazzed to go back, like it was the best time of his life kind of thing. And they have all those thoughts, but then they kind of go back to their character's. That they were in this world, which which is a little bit more like, yeah, returning to your youth um, of yeah. what you were when you were young, which was the, you know, playing as this character. So I think those elements I find the most compelling. I The world building, I, I see a ton of potential with this, I think, is the thing. Like, it's what's got me the most excited is I'm definitely going to want to keep reading. I'm going to want to see it go for a good long while because Gillen and Stephanie Hans are extremely talented creators. I think right off the bat, I thought it got a little too much credit <laughs> for... For tying to Lord of the Rings, it seemed like, and and I don't know, maybe this is just like, I'm I'm absorbing some comics Twitter discussion or something, right. and re, and reacting to a straw man because I couldn't even tell you what it is, but it seemed like the third issue does kind of like a solo story where one of the fantasy characters meets like a soldier trapped in a, a Lord of the Rings style war, and it gives like the backstory of the soldier's life, and it was it was a planetary esque feel where it's yeah. like you know it's it's building out that world a bit. I thought it got a little too much credit for that cuz it just I don't know that issue didn't super land with me and that approach felt I don't know it didn't it did not feel as innovative as I think it maybe got credit for. And that's about the worst I can say of it, because I think it's a really good comic. But that that rubbed me the wrong way for some reason.
1: When this book has been its strongest for me, it's when it's dealing with only its own property. Mm-hmm. When it has been the weakest for me is any time that it's trying to make a reference to something outside of itself. Yeah. So there it's super nitpicky, but there's a scene in the first issue early on where they're still in the 80s, and they haven't left their adventure yet, and somebody had to bring their like, kid sister into the, into the party, into the group. Yeah, right. And they are referencing bits of nerd culture like cyberpunk that virtually no one had read at this time. Uh-huh. Like, it's a very small subcommunity that I kind of don't— I don't know that these people would have had access. That's weird for me to say, but whatever. But then it progresses in that they make fun of the girl by referring to her as Neo. Uh-huh. And I'm like, that movie hasn't come out yet. Yeah, And this is something, and it's at that point where I'm like, okay, are they telling me, if they're going to screw with time in this comic, is this telling me something? Is this something that I'm supposed to be forecasting that there's Mm. another jump further on in the future to get back to this point?
0: Or it's a reference to something older that, as opposed to the Matrix, right?
1: I don't, that's totally possible. I just don't know what it would have been in... I'll put it to this way. That could have been a reference to something outside of it, but if you were talking about cyberpunk and then you said Neo, yeah. you should know that your audience is going to go to the Matrix. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know what else it could be. It could certainly be something else. Yeah.
0: No, I'm just like, I'm inclined to think because of because of trusting Gillen that there's some internal logic there, but I totally hear what you're saying. Um, and yeah, I no, I think I agree with the, the main point though, which is to say, I don't... The planetary type, like, we're going to explore different fantasy stories, but through the lens of die. I'm not sure this series is better off doing that than building its own unique fantasy world. I think when they've done the unique fantasy stuff, I'm really intrigued. Like, there's this—and there's this sort of crazy—I think the thing it does well, as someone who doesn't even play Dungeons & Dragons, is take the ideas of, like— Okay, we. I used my. I rolled and I used my um, my charm to manipulate this person, and but then it like plays that out like the horror of these characters who have fallen in love with with this you know um, like wizard essentially. Oh yeah, and the, like how their lives have been ruined and tarnished by this like that to me is very compelling and and really smart and clever and it kind of it makes you rethink like. Any game you've ever played. Like yeah. maybe I shouldn't have sacrificed my pawn in chess. Like what what'll his family think? <laughs>
1: you know And like the the guilt of getting bad roles and all these other aspects. You're right. Do they come in there in this really interesting way that I love? Yeah. Yeah, Gillen is so good at writing characterization, I don't know why he would take the time to write a planetary issue when he could just write more characterization. It's I don't know, I'm I'm hopeful for good things in the future.
0: Yeah, I mean and I don't know, I maybe maybe it just it didn't work for me in that moment in that time mm-hmm. and they'll do one later and i'll be like this is the smartest comic of the year because they're they're pulling in these it's not like i don't like references in general yeah. obviously like black hammer i talked about up front is like oh it's like a reference text you know it's like a love letter so there's a place for that um but yeah i'm not, i'm not i'm not convinced of it with die but we'll see it's got it's got a lot of runway hopefully Okay, cool. So we are yeah, we're definitely gonna have to do this in two parts because we've got a lot to say about these good comics. I think let's try to get through two more. If that's cool. Let's do or no. Yeah, two more. Let's do unstoppable wasp and then assassination. So unstoppable wasp here is the one that you included. I have not even read this. I'll, I'll be honest. Um, and it's it's clearly an all ages type book in the Marvel Marvel world. So tell us why
1: why it's on the list. So this is going to be another one that's just like Naomi, that it's Marvel looking to find a way to capitalize on the fact that a, the teens are super excited about their movies, maybe not picking up comics as much as they'd like. Uh, so they roll out this story that is about um, the original Hank Pym's, I think, daughter is what she is. And she's she's been raised in this um, farm situation in the same way that... Uh, you know, X-23 and, like, the Weapon X program, kind of. So yeah. there's some kind of weird, dark super science program that she was stuck inside of for a while, in the Red Room, they called it. And they, you know, she's now out, and she is putting together a squad of girl geniuses, and they are mm-hmm. going to kind of solve the Marvel Universe. The setup for it is not, like, big, amazing lineup for stuff, especially after we were just talking about Die. But it does such a good job of being fun and welcoming and bringing people in and having stakes and meaningful things going on, but it's not it's not weighed down too much by them. No um, And it also does a very clever job of how it introduces heroes to people one at a time and kind of builds within dialogue all the context you need without using many of the editor's notes that will usually sit at the bottom and say, like, see issue 54 of Spider-Man or something. Right, right. Um, so when they bring in Winter Soldier, he comes in to be part of some party for her and winds up ruining her birthday party as a result of it. And it's madcap hijinks, but it's a great way, through the actions that are being taken, you learn everything you need to know about these characters. Yeah. Uh, which is, in 2019, a really hard trick to pull off. Yeah. And I've got to respect the ability to have someone that's an Ed Brubaker correct connection, of all things, and boil it down to something that, like, within two pages, you can get the score of what's happening and what mm-hmm. we're doing and, you know, why it's important, why our characters should be behaving this way. It's, it's a lot of fun that way. But, again, it's another one of those books that's not really being written for me. Yep. So my... My review of it is excited, but pretty sterile and businessy, Like, very technical of, like, oh, you're doing these things and this is smart. But Yeah, yeah, I hear what you're saying. I, I think
0: that's—it's definitely one of those—and again, like, I haven't actually read the material here, but the idea of it just being, like, this is a good on-ramp for younger readers into the Marvel Universe is perpetually exciting to me. Yes. I love those types of books, you know? Um, yeah. I, I just—I love a place for them. It's not one I'm going to have on my pull list and, like, be excited to no. read day-to-day— uh, but I, I like. I think Marvel needs a p- space and a place for these because mm-hmm. it's. I they just think it's silly to have a gap from like eight to sixteen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where there's just like you know, there's nothing for you that's really, really meant for you. Um, I think that's a bad, bad approach to comicing. So yeah,
1: yeah. Plus, it's my hope that stuff, stuff like this and Scroll Girl and Gwenpool and you know so many of these other Spider Gwen that we've had. Uh, that they have this interesting pressure on comics, where for a while their comics got way too top-heavy, way too serious, way too dark and and brooding, and really reliant on uh, top-level canon and like deep pull lists. So you're looking at stuff like Civil War, Civil War II, things like that, and it's interesting to me, and I can't say that they're necessarily connected, but we've had this resurgence in stuff like wasp and squirrel girl and stuff that's lower end fun goofy dance lots super or, um silver surfer was like that yeah that it's this i wonder if that's the pressure that can pull comics down enough that we can get stuff like war of the realms yeah you know that's just like an out and out goofy fun time
0: so, yeah and not and it's like it's a serious story war of the realms yeah, but it's also sure. Like, hey, we're going to have a lot of fun with with giants invading New York, you know, and stuff like that. Um, Yeah, I, I do think that's a good balance. I think there's maybe a bigger conversation around, like, so Marvel's line right now, to me, is just, like, chaotic evil, to use the yeah. Dungeons & Dragons term. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, Definitely. they just, they publish, <laughs> yeah, like, they're publishing a billion comics every month. Yeah. And it's insane. And I think, like, there's a part, there's one part of me that is hearing what you're saying and saying, Yes, have these sort of comedy, lighter fare as part of the line. I think it's essential. And like Squirrel Girl, for example, is for me, I think. Like, yeah. it is, it's like, it's, I don't know, calling that all ages even is like there's a level of sophistication to the comedy in Squirrel Girl where I'm oh, like, yeah. this is, I wouldn't give this to a nine year old because it'd probably be just so far over their head in a lot. Maybe I'm underestimating nine year olds. Probably. I don't, I don't know any at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> but, but um, but then I'm also looking at it, thinking like, but you published 137 comics this month, and something has to give. I think for my money, it would be, it would be that middle, like taking it seriously mm-hmm. and not doing it the best. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's like that would be the ones where I'd be looking to to cut. Um, I don't know why this, I, it'd be like a, it'd be a title like X Force just like carte blanche, like regardless of creators, regardless of what's happening. And Uncanny X-Force is like one of my favorite books ever, the Reminder run. Um, It'd be titles like that, where it's like you're an addendum to a thing and you take yourself very seriously. Those are the books to me that, actually probably a better example would be like all the Weapon, um, the Weapon H stuff. I don't know if you followed that at all, but like Weapon X just got expanded into like this crazy sequence of like Hulk related tie-ins. And it's like, Greg Pox involved, and I love Greg Pox writing, um, but it's one of those things where I'm like, "This you have 137 comics. you got to tighten this up. Yeah, Rant over. I'm not going to go further on it, but I feel like there's a balance there where you have serious mm-hmm. pull-in-the-fun elements as well because that's what Marvel should be, I think. Yeah. Um, I, I think Marvel's at its best, generally speaking, when it's having fun with sort of the wackiness and the craziness, like you said, War oh, of the yeah. Realms. I think even Secret Wars... 2015 version which is like i mean that avengers run is is heady stuff It is, or heady yeah. i guess i say that it is um <laughs> it is the progression of a very serious run there are comedy moments in secret wars like miles oh, yeah. morales pulls a hamburger out of his pocket one point <laughs> and he's had it the entire event that's amazing I love that. yeah so <laughs> like it's such a it's such a wonderful moment stuff like that there, there has to be a place for it um i think dc can get away with Black label, darkness, a little easier. Uh, it, it's a little more palatable for some reason. Um, although well, that's it's because that's another
1: Marvel is Spider-Man and they've got multiple Spider-Man books driving it. It's kind of always been Spider-Man, while DC is Batman and they just center around those kind of gravity wells.
0: Yep. You know? Yep. Nope. I think that's that's probably the purest distillation of it. Okay. Last book we're gonna talk about on on this this uh, this episode is going to be Assassination. And we're about halfway through the list, so I think, you know, there's still a lot more comics that I like. Again, I'll include the link here in the show notes for all of them if you want to (laughs) check them out. Have you read Assassination, John? I have not. Tell me all about it. Assassination is written by Kyle Starks with art by Erica Henderson. Speaking of Unstoppable, or Unstoppable? No, what is it? Unbeatable, Squirrel Girl. Um, I like both these creators an awful lot. Assassination is their now five-issue series coming out from Image Comics that is... Uh, it's basically looking at this universe of, like, an Assassin's Guild. And they all, every book opens with a ranking of all the Assassins. So it's got, like, your oh. top 20 or, or maybe more Assassins in the world. They all have really fun names, including someone whose first name is just, you know, an F-bomb, <laughs> which is hilarious. <laughs> um, there's a guy just named Dave, which is, like, as a as a fellow Dave, turns out he's also a Cubs fan, we discover in this series, just like myself. Like, I feel like there's an element of... Um, of of reader insert that I'm doing with this character, like he's he's also the married guy. He's the married assassin, and he's like he's very much just like a nerdy kind of married like dad, family man type thing. But he's an assassin. He's a lower ranked assassin. Anyway, there's a whole slew of them.
1: How much did you pay them to put that in?
0: I've I've been submitting PayPal donations to Henderson and Starks <laughs> for several years, <laughs> and it finally paid off. Um, yeah, but it's like. It's it's like we were saying, it's got that element of they're all assassins and there's violence, but it's mm-hmm. that like almost goofy, almost like over the top to the point of it's not scary. It's not um it's not like mature gross out violence necessarily. <laughs> it's like chaotic action that is visually very kinetic and very entertaining. Um but it's like at the end of the day, it's more of a comedy book than it is a serious thriller or anything like that. So I think that part works very well. The concept again is like all the assassins come together for like one big hit. Basically is like, there's a guy who's now retired, used to be an assassin and he brings them all together to like help defend him from somebody out trying to assassinate him. So it's like assassins trying to take out other assassins and then being surprised by new assassins. And it's this whole universe of just like everyone that we meet and talk to is works professionally as an assassin to varying degrees. So it's funny. It's smart. There's like, in the midst of the comedy, there's this element of like very kind of like emotional quest for revenge that certain characters are on. And we kind of get this history of relationships that other people have gone through. Um, But more than anything, like, it's a book that makes me laugh and smile and it's one where it's one of those where i read the first issue and i don't know like as as people who read a lot of comics i have this with image series i think in particular these days where i'm like it almost feels like a chore sometimes to try out the new number one because there's so many of them so regularly and assassination was one i had been hearing some pretty good things but i'm like i'll give it a look and see and i i wanted to keep reading i like i was not going to stop reading this book um so i just kept going which was awesome uh, and it's it's well worth it. I think if you like anything Starks has done in the past, I mean, he's written some. I think he's the writer of like Sex Castle and some kind of. It's like, do you know Sex Castle?
1: No, I'm just loving that. Okay, name.
0: good. I'm okay, good. I'm glad I got to say that without context. Uh, <laughs> it's like um, it's like a, a pastiche of '80s action movies. Okay. It's very, but it's like um, there's there's it's very funny. It's all like done. And that's what Assassination mm-hmm. is, too, is it's like it's played totally seriously. You know, sure. it's not played like like it's intending to be a, a comedy, like over the top or anything. Um, but it's very funny in how it sort of elevates and, and does these ridiculous things. So long story short, it's awesome. Very fun book. You should check out Assassination. It's an easy, one of the easiest reads you could pick up this year and and just be in and out of, which is always always a thrill.
1: Well, I'm glad to hear about that. And I love this list because I'm learning about all sorts of new things I have to read.
0: I know that's the fun of it. Yeah, exactly. Ah,
1: I'm excited to hear that. Now I gotta look that up. Yeah,
0: cool. No, that that's highly recommended. I think we've got a bunch more. Again, I'll link to this in the show notes. I think we're going to pause for now um i'm gonna i'm gonna get some lunch john i don't know about you big plans for the day we finally got some rain here in chicago so maybe maybe the heat wave has dissipated i think
1: (laughs) nonsense it's just turned to magma now (laughs) okay we're gonna
0: gonna go navigate the volcanic atmosphere um but yeah this has been fun uh this is good so i uh thanks everybody for listening and we will be back with some more, hopefully, here on Best Comics Ever. Again, you can always find more content of my writing, John's writing, on comicbookherald.com. And, you know, you can find me on social anywhere at comicbookherald. John, is there anything else you want to want to share of your own?
1: Nope, nothing to plug right now. I'm really just studding everybody else.
0: Yeah, so if you feel like you're being watched, that's probably John. You can find <laughs> him You can find him in the shadows. Right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> awesome. All right, take it easy, everybody. Thanks, Thanks for everybody awesome. listening, and enjoy the comics. We'll hey.